Welcome back to another episode of That's Business. Today's guest, Laura Khalil, helps ambitious female entrepreneurs rebalance the scales of financial justice in their favor and get paid their worth. After cutting her teeth in Silicon Valley and collecting an unofficial PhD and getting laid off, Laura left the full-time world in 2013 to become an independent consultant. Advising some of the world's largest brands on marketing, she quickly realized that all the traits that had penalized her as a full-time employee were her greatest assets as an entrepreneur. Today, she's turned her attention to helping women go after that big deal energy and grow their consulting businesses to $250,000 a year and beyond without the usual social media tactics that leave people stressed out. She's a frequent speaker to audiences on personal branding, sales, and communication. She's spoken at WeWork, Paylocity, Creative Mornings, Zing Train, and more. Laura, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm so pumped to hear your story. I'm really happy to be here. The funny thing of how I met Laura, we got, and those of you that have listened, you know, I do love my social media, but Laura and I got paired on a panel at our joint co-working space and Laura is a anti-social media. So we had a fun back and forth and (laughs) it was a great discussion. It was. It really was. So I'm so thrilled to have you on here and hear a different perspective from what I hear. And you're so knowledgeable of everything. So before we dive into getting through everything, and first of all, I think you have the best bio that I had to stop myself from laughing out loud with the unofficial PhD. So excited to (laughs) dive into that. But throwing it back, what did you want to be as a kid? Or what was your childhood like if you feel comfortable sharing with the class? Absolutely. I'm going to just sort of like lay out on the therapist's couch right now. I have two psychology degrees. Perfect. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I feel really comfortable in any Tell me about your mother. Yes. Um, so <laughs> so I, I had a great childhood. I'm very, very fortunate and privileged to have had two parents who did their best, right? It was pretty stable. I grew up here in the metro Detroit area. My parents are immigrants. So what did I want to be when I grew up? I didn't know what I wanted to be. I was a really shy, introverted little kid. And I sort of was always in my mom's shadow. My mom was always larger than life. I always say she missed her calling as a cult leader because (laughs) she, I'm serious. If you ever meet my mom, people love this woman. Like people who don't know her and she gets she kind of like gets things done and gets strangers to help her. in what I mean, she just has a skill. I, it's it's unbelievable. So I learned a lot from her, honestly, about like charisma, personal branding and selling from my mom. But like, I think part of the reason I didn't really know what I wanted to be or think a lot about that is because I grew up in a Middle Eastern household. Both of my parents are immigrants. And, you know, for anyone who's listening to this who comes from like an ethnic background, you will resonate that there are basically three career paths you are even allowed to think about. And those are doctor, lawyer, engineer, and that's it. So I grew up in that sort of environment where it was like, here are the one of the three things you will do, Laura. And I was like, no. So, yeah, that was that. One thing I will say is I was always very creative. I spent a lot of my, most of my high school years very involved in music. I was going to like musical camps and schools. I played the flute. I had a talent for it. 
which I might not have admitted at the time, but now I can say, yes, I just had a, I was very talented as a teenager at music. And so the one thing I did think about doing when I was in high school is I thought, gosh, I would love to be a professional musician. For anyone who's listening, or I don't know, Angela, if you've experienced this, but if you are ever on stage and you are vibing with the audience and there's this beautiful like energy going back and forth, that experience is euphoric. It's almost indescribable how great that can feel. A lot of musicians know that feeling or even, you know, public speakers or perhaps performers in other avenues. And I wanted to experience that over and over and over. So I thought music would be the way forward. And I mentioned like the three paths to success as an immigrant child. And that was not one of them. So that was like just squashed. That was not going to happen. So I did have to like let go of the music, which I mean, kind of sucked. But I still found other ways to perform as an adult. So I would say I didn't lose it. It just changed form. Let's put it that way. And if I'm not mistaken, you did go to college because I think you have an advanced degree too. Or am I making that up? I did. Yeah. I want you to talk through what, what your college experience was like and what did you decide to do at that point? Okay. So again, I am like still this like reclusive. I know it, what's weird is like Angela knows me. So <laughs> nobody would ever describe me in these terms today. Nobody would say that I'm shut down. No. That I'm like, quiet, that I'm introverted, that I have massive social anxiety. But when you grew up in the shadow of like a faux cult leader, you basically are. So like, (laughs) I was just like, always in my mom's shadow. I didn't have the skills to know how to make friends or communicate. So a lot of people have like this amazing college experience where they're like, I don't know, it's like the best time of their life. I had one friend (laughs) in all of my college experience, because I didn't know how to talk to people. I'm not a natural salesperson. Like I just, none of that came to me easily. Yeah, I just didn't know how to network. I didn't know how to make friends. Like I was a mess. So I went to school in Montreal. So I was at a school called McGill, which for those of you who know, is basically the Harvard of Canada. Thank you very much. Okay. Not a dummy. So, um... (laughs) I basically was like a fish out of water. I was just totally in way over my head in a new city, scared of people. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. So my degrees at that time, my undergraduate degree is in history and philosophy. So nothing to do with business, nothing to do with marketing. That's all stuff I learned, you know, in the school of life, so to speak. However, For people who really have gotten to know me and a lot of my clients who know me, there are people who still describe me as a philosopher. I have a philosophy about business. I have a philosophy about life. So that still comes through in my work, but it came about in a very roundabout way. So that's basically what I did when I graduated. We were in a recession. So what do you do when you're in a recession? You just go back and get more schooling. So basically, that's what I did. I was working part time. And I went back and got more training at that point. I had been working in marketing a little bit, um, kind of doing like small jobs. Honestly, I felt like I was really working below my potential, but I didn't really know what my potential was. If you don't know your goal, you're just sort of floating in space. So I went back and I got an advanced degree. 
uh, more in the marketing side of things. But Angela, I have to tell this story really quickly. I never talk about this story. So one of my first jobs out of college, I was working for this magazine in Montreal. And I'm not going to name the name of it, but it was funded by this man who had more money than sense. If anyone's ever worked for anyone like that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like kind of nutty. And he would come into the office on a daily basis and just say things. It was like working in the show, The Office. He would say things that were just like batshit. (laughs) I mean, they were like crazy. Like one day he decided, okay, so we worked in this office in Montreal. For those of you who don't know, Montreal used to be one of the main cities where fur coats were made. Oh, yeah. So our magazine was in this building where they made fur coats. It was so creepy. I think the walls were like that, like insane asylum green color. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like like that you'd see in the movies. By the way, everyone, I don't mean like real insane asylums. I know that's not the proper term. Like a 50s, 40s, like an American horror story. Yes. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about anything that's real. Yes. So kind of that like real creepy vibe and that very harsh lighting. And we would get into the elevator and it was all these Russian men because that's, I guess, who the trade was passed down through. And they would wear these like white medical coats just covered in blood. (gasps) Oh, my God. It was so gross. And it smelled so bad in this whole building because it's all the chemicals of preparing the pelts or whatever or skinning the animals. I don't know what they were doing. It was terrible. But anyway, we worked in this office. This guy was like, just again, more money than sense. And so me in my goofiness, which I've always had this goofy side, we had an intern. I tasked the intern with coming into the bathroom with me to take photos of my face, making different facial expressions, having them laminated and put on popsicle sticks so that Anytime this guy would say something wacko and he would go into his office over my cubicle, I would raise the appropriate (laughs) popsicle stick face of Laura. Like I was a nutball. I still am. That's hilarious. Anyway, that's one of my earliest job experiences. So it was weird. I don't know where we go from the fur pelt building, but there we have it. I'm just so scarred from that. I just can't. Fa- I'm like, holy crap. Like, I don't, I don't. Sorry, everyone. It's fine. It's things you don't think about, though. You know, so I like it. I like off the wall yeah. stories. I told you there's no rules on this podcast. And I mean that. So no rules. Great. There we go. We don't care. How the hell does this lead to what I do now? I'll get there. <laughs> um, but <laughs> We're climbing up the hill. Stay tuned. We're getting We're there. We're climbing up. Yeah. Amazing. So after the scarring experience of sharing an elevator <laughs> with... um. <laughs> People that are fur- doing whatever they are with animals. Furriers, yes. And how did you get this unofficial PhD of getting laid off? Because that okay. is hilarious. Like I said, I lived in Montreal for years. I was married at the time. I got married very young. When I got divorced, I was 27. And I really was ready for a change. Kind of like i sort of been telling the story. I was a late bloomer. I was really just a late bloomer. And so Mad respect to anyone else who feels that way. I am with you. I wanted to spread my wings. And the one place I wanted to live in the world was San Francisco. So 
I moved to San Francisco and I began, that's really where my career actually began working in the startup scene there. And this is where I became very, very skilled at intimidating men. Yes. At being told I was too much, at being told I needed to smile more, I needed to soften my language, while I would watch these guys act the exact same way and get raises, promotions, pats on the back. And I just, I couldn't keep a job. I just couldn't. And for six years, I went through this pattern of, you know, starting at a company and doing my best, never being dinged for the quality of the work, just being dinged for the type of person I am. And it was always by male bosses. After about six years of this and collecting this unofficial PhD, you can imagine how disheartening this is to feel like, again, why am I going through this? And I realized, and I I really want to share with the audience, you can't change other people. You just cannot. And so I realized after my last layoff, which by the way, was May 31st, 2013. So we're almost at the time (gasps) of this recording around the 10 year anniversary. Yes. I realized that I could not change anyone else. I could only change myself. And that meant for me changing my circumstances. So I'm not going to have a personality lobotomy. I am not going to become a radically different person. This is just who I am. So I realized I needed to change my circumstances. Now, some people may be listening and they may have had dreams of entrepreneurship. If you are one of those people, y'all, I'm talking to you, okay? If you have had that dream like I did and keep shutting it down out of fear, out of doubt, out of where will I find a client, I felt the exact same way. But when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of changing and the discomfort of changing, you will transform. And so I decided that the pain of playing that record back, that record that was broken and squeaky and kept telling me I wasn't right, I didn't want to play that record again. I didn't want to do it again. I was really, really exhausted emotionally by it. I felt beaten down. And I said, no, I've wanted to be an entrepreneur. I've been scared of it my whole goddamn life. And I'm going to go fucking do it. And so did I know what I was doing? No, I really didn't. But in retrospect, to be really honest with you, Angela, I knew more than I realized. I knew the basics of what I thought needed to happen because I had a ton of business experience at this point. I sort of knew the basics of what I thought needed to happen. I had identified my target market that I wanted to work with, and I had identified the type of work I wanted to do for them. I landed my first six-figure contract six weeks after leaving that job. Oh, my God. Six weeks? Six figures? Six weeks, bro. Yeah. And I stayed with that client. It was a large... I worked pretty much exclusively with Fortune 500 tech companies in my consulting career. I worked with that client for four or five years. We built a great business relationship. I grew the account over time. And I started to work with, like I said, really big companies. 
the GE's, Intel's, Twitter's, Intuit's of the world. And as I started to do that, I realized, as you said in my bio, that the traits that I'd been penalized for as a full-time employee were actually my greatest assets as a leader and entrepreneur. And my clients never said to me, you're too much. Uh, We're intimidated by you. They said, gosh, we love your confidence. We love your enthusiasm. We love how you are so boldly able to help us determine the direction we need to be moving in. So I'd say that to everyone because if you're being dinged for personality traits, yes, it's worth taking a personal inventory and just looking at yourself, but it's also worth saying to yourself, I just might be in the wrong role. I just might be a leader in the role of an individual contributor, and that's never going to work. And that's where I was. So I built this business. I started to speak more. And I mentioned that because, as I said earlier, my love of being on stage as a teenager, my love of jiving with the audience came back, but in a different form of public speaking. And I started to talk. I gave a talk. I have a talk called The Benefits of Being a Bitch, (laughs) which is essentially what I've described right now. The benefits of being yourself and how you can actually make fuck you money being you. And I would give this talk and I'd have women come up to me and they would say, Laura, I do not understand how you've done this. I do not understand how you've grown this business. I'm struggling. Like, can you help me? And I thought, I mean, to be honest with you, Angela, I was confused. I was like, what? Because things that come naturally to us and are easy for us, we think are easy for other people. And so at first I was like, okay. And so I would take on these clients. This was about six years ago. I would take on these clients and I, they would get success. And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, that worked. And it happened more and more to the point where I realized that I really wanted to help women. I do work with men who come through, but I love to focus on helping women rebalance those scales of financial justice by actually understanding their worth, knowing how to walk through contracts, knowing how to get larger clients, because that's where the money is, and have a great work-life balance. So I ended up, after doing this for a number of years and just working with people, just trying to figure it out and help them move forward, I ended up reverse engineering what I actually done to get bigger contracts. And I created what I call Elevate, which is my program. It's both a self-study program and there's also a mastermind to help consultants get bigger contracts. It is a systematic approach. It is repeatable and it just works. Okay. I have just been like talking nonstop. But I'm here for it. Maybe I should take a breath. But like that's basically how I collected my unofficial PhD in getting laid off. And I will say, I, I just have to say, thank you to all the bosses who laid me off, who told me I was too much, who told me I was not good enough because y'all, you helped me get to where I am today. They were my greatest teachers. I love that. And it's so interesting. And I look at this because you and I actually have very similar stories in the aspect of personality. I was just talking with a friend the other day and kind of been on this journey of what would 18-year-olds Angela say about Angela now. And it's been interesting because she would be like, oh my gosh, who is that? Like, I want to be her when I grow up. But there comes to a point, I think, when you get beaten down so much from being told you're too much or 
you try the nice approach and you do what you're told. I, I worked my ass off and was still not given good enough. And, you know, same thing that men were patted on the back, given promotions and, you know, have to work twice as hard. And I don't know the metrics behind it, but there comes to a point, I think I was in college was my experience. And I'm like, fuck this. Like, <laughs> I'm just gonna be who I am. I'm so sick of just like, okay. if I had a dollar every time I got called aggressive, you and I would be retired on my yacht in the Mediterranean <laughs> with someone feeding us grapes and all of our meals. But it would be our super yacht. It would be a super yacht. It would yacht. be our super yes. yacht. Yeah. Jeff Bezos, who I could, I would have more money than him. <laughs> but it's so interesting because I feel a lot of people and even in their adult lives are, especially women, are stuck at, for me, 18-year-old Angela or early 20s Angela. And for you, especially in your 20s too, of finally saying like, screw this, I'm going to do my own thing. Yeah. And it's so fascinating because I've even been told, oh, you're really going to do that? Or you really said that on social media? Or you really say that on your podcast? You swear on your podcast? And it's like, I have been surrounded. I would have never met you. I would never meet half the business, any of the business friends I have. I call them business friends or professional friends, you know, the the adult friends you make, right? Yeah. It's so fascinating because I feel like the right people are attracted to you. You don't like everyone. I don't like everyone. I don't want everyone to like me, right? Exactly. I just have to say, as a marketer by trade, great marketing and great. Let's talk about personal branding because you said something about, I just want to be me. And I think that is the greatest asset of anybody listening to this is to really, and I know it can be scary, but lean in to just being yourself. Because listen, there's chat GPT, there's AI, there are things that are radically going to change how we do business. First of all, let's just say in the next five years and forward from there. What is going to differentiate you is who you are. And that is your personal brand. And I do not care if you are remaining in full-time employment or if you are an entrepreneur, you must leverage this skill. And great marketing, to Angela's point, great personal branding attracts and repels. You must be willing to repel people who are not right for you so that you can create space for people who are. Just like you said, I don't like everyone. You don't like everyone. And I know for damn sure not everyone likes me. And I am at peace with that because that is reality. And I think the more we try to bind to the fantasy of I have to like everyone and everyone has to like me, we actually sort of create the circumstances for our own misery rather than just accepting that's never happened and it never will happen. And that's okay. Right. And something you said, too, about there's no one else like you. It's true. I mean, how many consultants are in the world? How many people, how many freaking resume writers or career people? You will always have competition unless you have some novel idea that's something crazy, but you will always have competition. And I don't know if this is true for you, but I've had friends from high school, college growing up. They're like, I can never do what you do. That's crazy. That's scary. That's this. That's that. And it's like, right. But we're both too opinionated for corporate. And it's not even opinionated. It's I look for the betterment. And I love that you gave the ode to your awful bosses that laid you off because I feel the same way. I would never be where I am now. Yeah. I cannot preach on this subject so much. You're never going to be ready. I mean, I think you know my story of I got fired is when I decided to do it. I mean, there's no right time. I mean, I work three jobs. Mm -hmm. 
there's still times we have slow seasons. I mean, a lot of people don't realize like when people don't have as much money during a recession or during things, your business yeah. takes a hit sometimes. It's not all sunshines and rainbows, but I would rather cry over my own business than cry from some asshole telling me I'm a piece of shit. Exactly. To your point, there is never a right time. And it's really, I don't know, you may feel like this, Angela. So if you're still in the full-time world, we can like agonize over leaving that job and going to self-employment. But what I have found is that once you make the decision to be self-employed, you think it's a really big decision, but it's actually really not that big because every decision that comes after that as to how you grow the business is what is really going to change your life. And being in it and being consistent and being focused, realizing you don't have a boss with a quote unquote big stick to like tell you to go to the office, to tell you to sit at your desk, to tell you what to do during the day. You have to do that for yourself. And nobody is going to tell you, nobody's there to watch you. Nobody is there to give you a performance review, right? You have to have that or develop that kind of self-discipline. And I will say it is the road to freedom because Angela and I have the freedom to do what we want, when we want, with the financial resources that are at our disposal now, thanks to making this decision. Um, I read a great thing actually on LinkedIn this morning, and it was from a guy who said he he was a young man, and he said, well, I've retired. And I was like, what? So I went to go read his post. And what he really meant was he quit his corporate job several years prior, and he considered that his retirement date, because what is retirement really about? Retirement's about freedom. Retirement's about freedom to do what you want with the resources you have. And entrepreneurship is not the easiest path, but it is such a rewarding path to experiencing that kind of freedom. Like you and I, we can go have lunch. We can go have, you know, happy hours. We can go get breakfast. We can go on trips. We can go do whatever we want. I have a limited time off. You know, it's just sort of like, it's amazing. But you also have to have the discipline to put in the work. I don't know. Do you feel that way, Angela? I absolutely do. This is a crazy week. So this is great that we're recording this this week. But I love concerts. I don't know if you know that about me, but I've been to over 100 concerts, like love them. So I have three concerts this week I'm going to, one of them including a quick trip to North Carolina with one of my best friends to go see Stevie Nicks. We have a comped hotel, comped flight because she travels so much for work. Wow. It's just like all these things. I mean, I went to freaking opening day for the Tigers for the first time. I never went to it. And I lived in Royal Oak like I was 10, 15 minutes from Comerica and I never went to opening day. And it's just Mm -hmm. all these things and... I'm sure you've been told this too. It's like, oh, must be nice to do what you want. It's like, yeah, I am doing what I want, but my ass is going to be working probably till 10 o'clock most nights this week to make up for me to not stress on vacation. Yes. And that's where, yes, I can make my own schedule. I could do what I want. I am going on a lunch date with one of my friends today, but I have better work-life balance. I feel more refreshed. I don't feel as bad if I go... have happy hour or do something like that, which I would plan in corporate and then I would feel bad about it. And it just, you know, not every job is awful in corporate, but when you have the awful bosses, it does make it really difficult to do the things you want. Makes it hard. Mm -hmm. But yeah, to your point, yes, it is nice. And yes, uh, we have to work. We have to go find the time 
to fit it in, right? So if you're going to start your own business, you might as well start it. What I always tell my clients, you deserve to love your business because it's one of the most important relationships you're going to have in your life. Your relationships with your clients, your relationships with your business partners. And if you do not like your clients, if you do not like what you're selling, you are going to hate your life. So you might as well, if you're going to be self-employed, do something that you like, that people want to pay money for, and work with people you actually enjoy. And it is really that simple. People overcomplicate it all the time. I just have to say, because I work with a lot of people on growing their businesses, and one of the most common challenges I see is people do not know what they sell. And by that, I mean, they don't really know what problems they solve for others. If you don't know what problems you solve for people, you need to go back to basics because that is the crux of how you're going to get clients. I mean, it's why Angela and I have businesses is to solve problems for people. But a lot of people, I think, go into business and they're like, you know, I just want to I mean, one thing I see a lot in my industry is like, I just want to help, you know, purpose-driven individuals self-express their humanity. And I'm like, get the fuck out of here. Like that. Do you see my nice eye roll I just gave as you were talking? Yes. Yeah. Go start a church. Okay. Like that is not tangible enough for most people to grasp onto to understand how you can help them. And a lot of people, one of the things I see, common challenges, is a lot of people try to act like Oprah or Glennon Doyle, but you don't have the influence to do it. You don't have the network to do it. You don't have the community to do it yet. So you got to start more specific, more tangible, and eventually you, you know, you can get to that level. But don't start at self-actualization when we, you know, talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. A lot of people try to start their businesses at the self-actualization, highest sort of part of the pyramid with like, I want to help you fully express your gifts to the world. And it's like, no. Start with tangible things that solve real problems that will evoke feelings of, you know, feeling like people are on their path, people are confident, have more clarity. And over time. You can work up and build your brand and build your community to get into more self-actualization products. But in a nutshell, just know what you sell. And thank you for coming to my TED Talk. I just had to say it, Angela, because it makes me insane. Oh, yeah. The amount of resumes I fix or, oh, my great uncle who's been retired for 20 years told me this is a resume is this way. I'm like, this shit changes all the time. So I see it yeah. in mine or now we're getting into, and this is all hate on social media too with you here. Oh, well, I have a following. So I'm going to capitalize on this and I'm going to offer these services or, hey, I have millions of followers. So I'm going to say I can do resumes and they can't. And then I have to go fix them. It's so interesting because if you are that person, the buzzwords, fine. I'm not going to hate on life. Co- I am going to hate on life coaching for a moment here. But no, yeah, let's do it. I'm sure you get bombarded on LinkedIn, as do I every single day with messages of people trying to sell me stuff. Fine. Do your thing if you do it right. But it's, oh, I can help you solve this or I can help you do that. 
it just makes me so mad because there's so much bad information, especially in life coaching. I'm like, I literally am doing this. It's just career coaching. I mean, I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate when some consultants take advantage of people or just like, oh, well, I can help you do this and promise the moon and the stars and everything. And I'm going to give some love to you because especially on your site, which head to the show notes to check out Laura's site. (laughs) It's really great because you're not promising millions of dollars. You're promising getting your income or be at two, I think you said 200, $250,000 a year. 250. Yes. It's tangible results. It's achievable. Yes, it is achievable. And I love that because I hate the people that are just, I'll make you millions, I'll do this and trust your gut on everything. I mean, if you're going to hire a consultant. Oh my God. I I just, I got to say two things. First of all, the life coaching industry, by the way, just everybody, it's an unregulated industry. Anybody can call themselves a life coach. I am also very concerned that, and there was an expose about the life coaching school in the New York Times last year, how a lot of, they are certifying people in like trauma-informed life coaching. Y'all, you got to be very careful with that stuff because we're really talking about what a licensed therapist or psychologist is trained and educated to do with an individual, especially when it comes to trauma versus what somebody who gets an online certification from a woman who is, you know, a millionaire a thousand times over and makes money selling certifications, calling themselves trauma-informed. I just really want everyone to be very careful who you choose to work with. Life coaching should not be for dealing with trauma. That's what therapy is for. That's what working with a licensed counselor, therapist, psychologist, psychiatrist is for. So I have a lot of issues with life coaching in general. I think people come at it and they're very well-intentioned. They want to help others, but they don't want to go down the route of becoming or have to deal with the licensing structures that are required by our state governments of being a licensed therapist. So a lot of people take this sort of shortcut. Just be very careful who you work with. Most life coaches that I meet are struggling severely to make any money. I don't work with life coaches for this reason. It is not, in my opinion, a very tangible model unless you become the life coach who helps other life coaches life coach. That's it's like this weird like MLM thing they have going on. Yes. And those are the only life coaches that are successful. I just sorry. I apologize to any life coaches listening who are getting angry about anything I'm saying. It is my opinion, but I just, I don't see anyone being successful in that world because it's not tangible. The other thing I want to say about million dollar coaches, because I could really go on a rant about this and I will do it do it uh, because I have a minute to do it. Go for it. You got time. Okay. Million dollar coaching is in large part, something to be very wary of. Why is that? Well, let me tell you about the million-dollar coaching industry, and I can tell you about this because I know a lot of people who liaise with that industry, and one of my clients is actually a financial consultant for that industry. So let me tell you what's going on behind the curtain of the seven-figure coach. What's going on is this. 
The way that they get to seven figures is they run a massive amount of ads. They have a sales staff to pressure you into buying. Because of that higher overhead, they have to charge higher fees. At the end of the day, Angela, this might surprise you. Do you know most of them barely make any money on those million-dollar launches? And many of them are near bankruptcy. <gasps> that it, it's, oh my, keep going because this is great. I don't even have words. Like what? And I'm not going to say all of them. How could I say all of them? I don't know them all. But many of them are struggling to actually pay their bills even after the million dollar launch. Because guess what? You actually need to spend tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars on ads to build up your marketing machine enough to get enough leads in the funnel to actually sell to, which means that you're actually making very little. When everything trickles down from, you know, coming in, trickling all the way down to final sale. Oh, and by the way, for most of them, if they have an affiliate program and their affiliates are selling for them into their whatever life-changing course or whatever bullshit they're peddling, the affiliates take half. So think about this. Just think about all the expenses here. So when people talk about million-dollar coaching, here's what I want you to think about instead. And the reason I don't promise million-dollar consulting or any of that, you can actually, because I have been doing it, and I see my clients do it all the time, you can make a great income having a small business, working with larger clients, having a normal work week that is not crazy or over the top and bringing in a hundred to $300,000 a year. I see it all the time. It is not impossible to do. It is very achievable, but it requires having, and so when I talk about that, I mean profit, profit. Remember million dollar coaching. What's the profitability? Very small. Maybe the profitability is $150,000 for the owner. But look at everything he has to do to make 150 k Well, let's turn that on its head. What if I run a business and I work with three or four clients a year on a retainer basis and I make between $150,000 and $300,000 a year? That's profitability in my pocket. I didn't have to hire someone to do it, or even if I did, it's not taking the bulk of the expense. I'm running a much more profitable business. So why would I try to be a million-dollar coach? Why would people, it's snake oil. Okay, it's snake oil. It is. Where's the mic drop? I'm done. I'm just saying. Everything you've said is like, included it is. a mic drop. So I think we just need it. And then you could just drop it and you hear the bomb. Angela, throw that fucking mic on the floor. We're out of here. I'm just, we're done. That's all I have to say about that industry. I think it is, it's a scam, largely. Mm -hmm. And they sell the four-hour work week. They sell all this stuff. Ask yourself, what's the profit? Right. You may have a million-dollar business. What are you taking home after all the expenses are paid? That's the money we really need to talk about. And if you want to run a highly profitable business, consulting, is, in my opinion, one of the most highly profitable businesses you can run. And that is why I teach people exactly how to do it. I'm done.
You're not done because we got a few more questions for you. So <laughs> we'll do a few more mic drops here. But okay, okay. I know you said you have your type of client that you work with, but why should people work with you, especially women? I know you take on men too, but for those listening, they want to work with you. Why is working with you different? Listen, if you like my personality, if you feel called to work with someone who acts the way that I do, who has a systematic approach to actually helping you that does not require dancing on TikTok, that does not require posting endlessly. Sorry, Angela, I know. Hey, it's okay. If those are things that jive with you, I'd love to hear from you. Um, and that's it. You know, I'm not for everyone, but I sure as shit am for the right people. You know, I'll say this. The reason in my industry, I don't talk about dancing on TikTok. I don't talk about posting on LinkedIn. I don't talk about creating Facebook groups, et cetera, et cetera, is because Fortune 500 clients, Fortune 1000 clients, Fortune 5000 clients, larger companies. Let me just make this really simple. Larger companies are not looking for you on TikTok. They are not looking for you scouring LinkedIn posts. They are looking for you through the business of business development and networking. So do I think social media is bad? No, I don't. And I think it's great for certain types of businesses. But if you want to run a business where you're actually working with larger clients, a B2B business, you don't need to employ those techniques. There are different techniques that are going to give you a better return on your time invested. And that's why I talk about it. So like Angela and I have different perspectives on this, but we're also running different businesses, targeting different people. And that's why where you use social media and I don't use it as much, that's really the reason why. We're just looking at different things. Absolutely. And Laura does have a great LinkedIn and you share a lot of great insightful things on LinkedIn too. But I love LinkedIn. Yes. I love LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn all the time. We love LinkedIn. This has been incredible. My parting question, well, or maybe your last mic drop of the of the session. What advice do you have for listeners outside of all the incredible advice you've already given? I would just love for everybody to just ask yourself, how do I want to wake up in the morning? How do I want to wake up? Do I want to wake up and feel joyful, happy? Do I want to wake up with a smile on my face? Or am I waking up right now and I'm like, oh, shit, I got to go into the office or, oh, fuck, I hate these people I have to deal with. Just pay attention to like what's going on with you. And I want you to know that if you're not happy with how you wake up in the day, you can actually change that. You don't have to make giant sweeping changes in your life, but it's one step at a time, every single day, putting one foot in front of the other in the course of a year can bring about profound change in your life. And I would just encourage everyone to begin to notice how they feel and what things make them feel more alive, what things bring them more joy and happiness, and do more of those things in your life. And the things that drain you, the things that make you angry, the things that, you know, where you feel unappreciated, begin to examine them and examine how you can transform those situations. That's it. That's it. Super simple. Laura, 
You are incredible. This is so much. I mean, I'm not surprised because I knew this would be a fun one, but incredible. For those of you listening, if you want to work with Laura, connect with her on LinkedIn, see the bad bitch that she is, head to the show notes to work with her. Her master classes are incredible. I have many friends that have worked with her that have all said incredible things. And tune in next week for another episode of That's Business. If you're looking for a career change and you're not sure where to start, the Resume Rescue can help. Sure, there's no such thing as the perfect fit for everyone, but here at the Resume Rescue, we're on a mission to find the perfect solution for you. Whether it's changing careers, updating a resume, learning LinkedIn, or practicing interviewing, we have you covered. Find us online at theresumerescue.com and find all of our contact info in our show notes.